Hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nerva Reddy. I'm Stephen Robles and this is part two of our conversation about the Lauren Daigle interview. In the last episode, we talked about the difference between condemning and evaluating in the context of judging someone. And so now in this episode, we're actually going to listen to parts of the interview and kind of talk about it in that context. And Brother Seth is going to lead us through it. So Yes. Um, <laughs> apologize to our listeners if you hear the occasional sip. <laughs> <laughs> My wife recently got me this uh, Nespresso maker, so hey. we've, been, we've been trying it out. Uh, it's this, pretty good. This tastes pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right? We're, drink, we're drinking the Intenso, which is a uh, apparently a number, I think it's a number nine out of the, uh, I thought it was out of 10, but then I saw one Espresso that was an 11, so I don't know if that's like a hyperbole. <laughs> that's like the music thing. You got to turn it up to 11. That's know? right. So, you know. Wait, wait, wait. So wait, it's, it's one to, there's I a scale one of, to 10. of caffeination? Of sure. like Intensity. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> is, that, is that the same as caffeination? Like, is no, it how well, awake you'll be? It may be correlated, brother, but not ah, uh, not causation, not causation. <laughs> correlation. Okay, okay, very good. Very no, I good. Don't, I honestly, just I think it might be intensity of flavor, but it could oh, also okay. be uh, the uh, quantity of caffeine. Right, the milligrams per molecule. Or, there's know. never enough. That's all I know. <laughs> there's, there's, never n- there's never enough. So we are sipping right now. We we might be right. a little intense this episode because uh like I said I'm <laughs> drinking the intenso here. I should have brought my cold brew. I know it's one of your favorites, but <clears throat> oh, Lord. Um so anyways, yeah. So we want uh, if you haven't listened to part 1, I would I would highly yes. recommend you go back and listen to part 1 cuz I think it really gives us a uh just a good platform Good framework, to, good framework, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to take into this um, uh, as we actually go through. I'm trying to think where I want to start here. All the links, the YouTube clip, and the articles that we discussed will all be in show notes, again, freemind.fm, and in the show notes in the podcast player of your choice. So, so I've, it's just about a minute long here where, where they address uh, this Natty, uh, Dominic Natty show of questions, Lauren Daigle. So I'm just going to play the whole thing, then we're mm-hmm. going to go back through kind of piece by piece, but here we go. Oh my that, gosh. I have tough I hate to do this to you, Lauren, but I have I, I usually ask some tough questions. So is that all right if I ask you just a couple ones that are, are tougher and you can let me know if you want to answer them. Okay. Cool. Okay. Well, since we're talking about Ellen, do you feel that homosexuality is a sin? You know, I, I can't honestly answer on that in the sense of I have too many people that I love that they are homosexual. Um, I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone last night about it, and I was like, I can't say one way or the other. I I'm not God. So when yeah. people when people ask questions like that, that's what my go-to is. Like I just say, read the Bible and find out for yourself. Because and when you find out, let me know because I'm learning too. Wow, you're a pro already. All right, so <laughs> that's actually the first time I've I've heard it. Okay, I, I read her comments, yeah. but it is very different hearing her speak. Yes, it has a it has a certain tone on it, right? It, yeah. In fact, I would recommend listening to the whole interview because there's a lot of things you could pull out of this. Now, the reason we're addressing this is it, for me is not even so much to say, oh man, Lauren Dago, she's you know misrepresenting all this. I think it's a this is a she presents an example that I actually think um is is all too common these days it's not it's not that she's done this awful thing answer I, the the 
the thing, the reason we need to answer, you know, kind of engage this and analyze it is because actually I think she represents a, a good size of the population right now of younger right. Christians. Right. Um, so, um, first thing, again, talking about last week, you know, with motivation, some people immediately jumped to the conclusion, oh man, she's, you know, because in the same interview, she says she's married to her career and, you know, she even says, you know, why wouldn't I go on the Ellen show? That would be career suicide. So, you know, there are some contextual things that might might lead you to draw that conclusion. But again, I think as a general practice, it's better to just, you know, I think we could just sort of posture ourselves to take her at what she's saying for sure. face value and not read into it. Um, so I don't know. Um <laughs> Well, before we even get to that, let me let's go back. Let's just kind of take this apart piece by piece. So let's start it uh, again. At, we're about eight ten here, and let's go to uh, Natty's question. I usually ask some tough questions. So is that all right if I ask you just a couple ones that are are tougher, and you can let me know if you want to answer them? So he did. You know, in essence, he gave her an out. You know, let right. me know if he you asked if it was okay. Yeah, and she could. You know, he was saying basically, if you don't feel comfortable sharing this you can you can say just you know you know what i don't feel comfortable saying this so that you know that's that seems pretty fair right um and then he continues here okay. well since we're talking about ellen do you feel that homosexuality is a sin nerva before i know Steve's <laughs> catching what is his question do you feel yes mm. that homosexuality is a sin so that, already yeah that should raise yeah. red flag yeah, it should raise our philosophical antenna, right? Why is that? Is there something wrong with that question? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's already. You feel. Yeah. It's already presuming that whatever she's about to say applies to her only. Okay. I feel like, you know, he's I, he's probably not, again, thinking this deeply as he yeah. asks it, sure. but he's playing into the cultural norm of saying, what do you feel about this? Because whatever it is, I will feel differently. And neither is true. Mm. It's whatever you want, whatever you feel. And she kind of plays into that again later. She says, read the Bible for yourself, figure it out, and then let me know. You know, it's this feel of... Yeah, so in other words, it's the use of non-cognitive language Mm. to describe ethics. Oh, boy. Okay. So that's that's already in the background. It's not, do you believe Mm. that homosexuality is wrong or... You think there's good reasons, or you know, what is the true? Is it true? It's right. do you feel? Okay. So that that tends. To, I think you're right, Stephen. It tends to place it in the realm of subjective feeling. And she, you know, it's interesting knowing she proclaims to be a Christian artist to not ask like, do you believe as a Christian mm-hmm. that homosexuality is wrong? Uh, but I, maybe as a radio host, you kind of get used to mm-hmm. asking it in a, I don't know, more cultural, right. feely way. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. But. For sure. So, that you know, it's good just for our listeners. We want to be people who always evaluate and analyze everything that we watch. You know, you just don't want to watch and listen to anything uncritically, even this podcast. So, you know, listening to us, you're thinking through it. You're doing your best to bring your God-given mind to the situation um, prayerfully and in humility, seeking truth. So that's the that that should raise a flag anytime you hear that kind of language. And here's why. Just a little bit of background. There was a Harvard professor named Julie Rubin who wrote a book called The Making of the Modern University. 
Um, but anyway, she said, devised the transition of American universities from liberal arts colleges to modern research universities into three overlapping periods. The first one was the religious stage of 1880 to 1910, the scientific stage, and they, again, they overlap from 1900 to 1920, and the humanities and extracurricular stage that took place between 1915 and 1930. And basically, at the, at the end of this move, here's what happened. The realm of religion and values became non-cognitive. Knowledge is not possible in these realms, the realms of religion and ethics. And um, non-factual, their claims are neither true nor false. The function of religion and ethics is to help people live better lives, whatever that means. <laughs> um, and there's one more quote I just wanted to, uh, to, to, to put in here. It said, because this is the... Um, the two goals originally for universities were the impartation of wisdom and knowledge and the tools needed to discover them, as well as the development of spiritually, morally, and politically virtuous graduates who could serve God, the state, and the church well. Because the Christian God was a single unified mind and the source of all truths, the curriculum was unified and, and that every discipline was expected to shed light on and harmonize with every other discipline. In particular, spiritual, ethical, aesthetic, and political truth and knowledge were real and on par with truth and knowledge in other disciplines, including science. So what happened when these things got shifted, um, and I, sorry, I know this is wordy, but just stick with me for a, a minute here. The shift from a, this is from old notes, I used to use it, uh, sub 30, so I'm reading <laughs> it off here, but it said the shift from a unified cur curriculum grounded in a monotheistic God in which knowledge and truth were present in all areas of study to plural versities with a fragmented curriculum in which electives and specialization increased and in which knowledge was limited to the empirical sciences. That's one of the shifts. And then two is the shift from a cognitivist view of theological and ethical claims according to which these claims are both true and items of knowledge to a fact value distinction, according to which empirical science is the sole domain of facts and knowledge and non-empirical fields like religion and ethics study the realm of values that is non-factual private feelings, attitudes and behaviors, hmm. which are not topics for which knowledge is available. Hmm. Now, so break that down yep. for people who don't <laughs> follow this stuff and are unfamiliar with the terms. In Which, essence, can you paraphrase all that? And I think today, in two words, today's culture, it is because science. Yeah. That anything, whether it's a truth claim or whatever, if science says it, it is true. And like it's a joke on social media, but because science and then supposedly end of discussion. It's the only source of true knowledge. Okay. Yeah. And then religion and ethics. I think the perfect example is that how do you do you feel like, you know, Jesus is the son of God, do you feel like okay. homosexuality is wrong? In other words, it's like, it's not like cognitive language has to do with like um, truth claims. Do you believe evidence, okay. belief, stuff like that? Non-cognitive is in the realm of feeling. Do you like, you know, chocolate sure. ice cream? Okay. Do you like, you know, how does this piece of art make you feel inside? So it's about the person having the experience. Sure. Which, you know, I think of that scene in uh, Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. <laughs> When uh, he's talking about the pen and it's uh, blue and he cannot lie and he wants to say it's red. He just wants to be able to break that inability to lie. And so he says the pen is royal blue. You know, he just can't say red. And, and we laugh at that. And the only reason it's funny is because we can look at that pen that he's holding and objectively we see that it is blue. 
there's, you know, no question, you know, we don't think like, oh, maybe it's a different, maybe you see red and I see blue or whatever. But now that has become part of our language when it comes to ethics and religion that, oh yeah, it's a blue pen to you. You feel it's blue. I just feel it's red. And so we're just going with our lives and be cool with that. Mm. So yeah, that's great. And I think we, when we do that immersion impact, we, we've been doing this camp for three, three or four years and every summer they go through mm-hmm. and they, they teach the kids this oh. distinction between objective and subjective right. claims. So right. And they have it like 10 or 12 examples. I can't remember. And the kids have to raise their hand. They say, do you think this claim is objective? You know, two plus two equals four. Is that objective or subjective? Right. They'll raise their hand objective, you know, um, you know, uh, water is made of hydrogen two uh, two, two hydrogen hydrogen, and hydrogen and a molecule of oxygen. Uh, is that objective or subject objective, you know, but when they get to stuff like, um, ha- having an abortion is wrong. Is that objective or subjective? They don't, they don't say it's objectively true or false. They automatically switch to subjective every right. year. They switch to subjective. Or even if you ask is, is, yeah. is Allah God and Muslim or uh, Muhammad is prophet. Yeah. Subjective. Is that objective? Right. So they, this, 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 um, move of, the realms of religion and ethics out of the realm of objectivity to subjectivity is so in the water that we're often not aware of it. Which, just to be clear, a statement like Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet, that is an objective statement. It is a truth claim. Exactly. Because either it is true, as in it adheres to reality and is objectively true, or it is not. Right. Because when you move it into the realm of subjective, I feel it, you feel it, there's no proving it wrong or right. Right. It can be true for you and not then for it me. it can be true for yeah, exactly. So and that's well said. So with this question, I guess he just worded it incorrectly. He should have asked a different question. Well, and yeah, I think it's worth pointing out because again, it's the water we swim in. Sure, he's mm-hmm. presupp- it, The question almost it it tends to presuppose that ethics is in the realm of non-cognitive. Okay. it's right. you know yeah. how do it's you not feel? Knowledge. Right, it's not. It is homosexuality a sin, mm-hmm. or do yeah. you believe it as a Christian? Does Christianity teach right. that, or does the Bible claim sure. right that it's yeah. do you feel? So that's one thing that I think that for all of us, we have to recognize the water we swim in yeah. right. and we need okay. to recapture um, ethics and theology as bodies of truth and knowledge, right. not as subjective feeling. Right. Now, in exactly the, the case that Stephen pointed out, we, even as Christians, we wouldn't say Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet is subjective. We wouldn't say that. We would just say it's objectively false and right. we would try to show that with different realms of evidence. So right. that, that, that is one thing we need to understand right away. So if it's objective, or in other words, if it's, a, if it's in the realm of objective things that we at least plausibly can come to know, right. then what would be the next thing you would want to do? You mean to prove it or disprove it? Yeah, or, or yeah, you would yeah. want to you'd want to research it, right? You'd want to right. engage oh, and gather okay. facts like and studies, oh, like like you'd look for the sources of knowledge. Like what? Right. How how could okay. I now come to know this? It's not me just talking with my friends and kicking it around. Sure. So and that that leads to the next her her um, response to this. I'm gonna okay. play that here. You know, I, I can't honestly answer on that, in the sense of I have too many people that. I love that they are homosexual. Um, I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone last night about it, and I was like, I can't say one way or the other. So right. I'll, I'll let you guys you know, <laughs> yes. take a stab. What do you think about that, that statement right there? How would you evaluate that? First of all, what is she yeah. saying? She's saying, I don't know. 
And she's saying, I have a lot of friends who are homosexual, and so I don't know. Sure. And on the, the root level, again, if we're talking about is it wrong or right objectively, whether you have friends that are homosexual or not has nothing to do with whether it is wrong or right. Right. Just yeah. like whether I have friends that steal things. Right. Or I have a lot of friends who embezzle money. <laughs> like, yeah. None of that would make us think it might be sure. right or wrong because I have friends. Right. As if that's a reason you can't know. Right. That's kind of right. what it's prevents you from knowing because of your love for them almost. Right. Yeah. And I think that's an important point too. So talk right. more about that because I love them. What do you think about that is, what do you think about that statement? That well, part of it? Real love involves truth. And if you love a person, you, you will their good. And that involves knowing what's good for them. And that's knowledge. So you have to have knowledge of truth. And so like I have loved ones that I, that I adore and I have to be honest and, and truthful with them concerning things. And so I do love them. Doesn't separate the truth from it, but yeah, you can't, um, that's no excuse for not knowing what right and wrong is. Well said. love. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. So to put it in more formal language, having friends that engage in a certain activity doesn't lend any evidence that would drive you to agnosticism about whether said activity is right or wrong. Right. Nor does loving this group of friends mean that you shouldn't say if it's right or wrong. And I think you point out, and they're all kind of examples of, I mean, two really, you know, and Steven, you have three kids to love your kids means to often point out if they're doing something wrong. Right. And also to love despite rebelliousness or disobedience or wrongful behavior like there's a lot of that and just like again there's i think a push and pull of she might be speaking from i cannot love them if i think what they're doing is wrong which is another thing i think society has pushed on our culture that is impossible to love someone and also tell them that they're wrong which is actually like the last episode and that sorry go ahead it's a culture of don't offend anyone yeah anyone's feelings and if you disagree with them you're hurting them and offending them can't do that if you love them, but right. yeah, that's the water, like you said, the water we're swimming in. That's the water we're swimming in. And that ties back to what JP said. We live in a therapeutic culture. Right. So we, we misdefine love. And that's what <laughs> I think what's lying at the bottom of that statement is we don't have a biblical understanding of love oftentimes. We think to love means <laughs> yeah. to affirm whatever the person wants to do. Mm. We highlight desire as the highest right. oh, boy. Thing. Hedonism. Yeah, and, that's, and I think there's a... There, and again, not to pick on her, but this idea is running through our culture right. and it impacts us mentally if we don't have the, the worldview tools to combat that in our minds. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. And so, and, and ultimately, I, th- I would say, you know, God is love. <clears throat> and because he's love, he knows how he designed us to function well and to flourish. And because of that, his, his moral laws are not just kill joy to make us not have fun and not do what we desire, but they are to help us to flourish as human beings. And that's why we, we give the truth of God's standards not to, to put ourselves above anybody, not to tear them down, and not to be mean. And some people we cry with and we pray with. We know this is an intense struggle for many people, but it doesn't do them any good to, to go against the designer, what he says.
I actually had a conversation with someone last night about it, and I was like, I can't say one way or the other. I I'm not God. So. Okay, so let's let's take that statement apart and just you know break it down. What's behind that? I can't say I'm not God. What 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 in essence does that statement mean? And is there are there any problems you could see with that? I think it goes back to the joke of only God can judge me where she's saying God will say it's right or wrong. And I, as a human can't know, I think that's kind of implicit in that statement. Like, and that somehow God does not tell us or that maybe this is a place where God is ambiguous. And so we can't know for sure. That seems implicit in there. Is it a little bit self-refuting? Can we know anything? She just said she couldn't know that. Does she know that without God? I think if you, if you listen to different parts of the interview, Again, the, my my memory's a little bit faded because it's been a few weeks, but I, I I feel like at one point she kind of kind of hints at the idea that some of her the people that have critiqued her have done something wrong. Like some of them, she said, you know, they've been short sighted or they've you know been overly critical. But again, that's that tends to be an ethical claim. Do you have to be God to know that 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 claim is true? Ah, okay. right. And ultimately, what it would do is he wrote. Any ethical claim anybody could ever make, if it requires being God or having omniscience to make a claim about ethics, a true or false claim, and a knowability claim. To play a little bit of a devil's advocate, though, I I do think there are some areas that are it's harder to understand what is God's ultimate sure. command yep. in an area. You yep. know, we have the Ten Commandments. We have a lot of explicit things that Jesus has said. You know, don't do this. This yeah. is wrong. And not saying this is one of them, but there are areas where there's debate still. On whether or not what is right, what is sinful, for sure, what is not for sin. sure. No, and I think I think that point stands. Um, if that were all she was saying, in, in other words, if she said, you know, this is such a difficult issue, I can't say I'm not God right. because it's sort of like a like a math problem. There are some math problems that are clear, right. and there are certain math problems that are so difficult, like even the greatest mathematical scholars in the world can't answer them. Right. So if you're saying about that problem, I, I don't know, I'm not God, it's, it's so far beyond me, then right. I think your point would follow. Right. But the way she says it in general almost makes it sound like I couldn't right. say that about this because I'm not God, not from the place that it's so difficult, but only God can say what's right and wrong, right. especially when it's a touchy issue. Right. But the touchiness of an issue, of course, doesn't mean that it's ambiguous. Right. It just means right. it's unpopular in our culture. So that would be the next question. Is it, is it ambiguous? Um, are there good arguments on both sides of the issue where we can actually have room to disagree? And I think that would be actually a great question, probably another podcast, because yeah, that would yeah. take time to yeah. wrestle through. But, uh, she does say, study the scriptures, and, and once you figure it out. Yeah. So she's, like other people could figure it out, but then she just uh, let me know. Right, well, which right. we're about to, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna play. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Man. I'm gonna play this. When yeah. people, when people ask questions like that, that's what my go-to is. Like, I just say read the Bible and find out for yourself. Because, and when you find out, let me know. Because I'm learning too. Wow, you're a pro already. Next question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and you know. Again, I think the, 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 the thing that she kind of brings up there is sort of what she said, Stephen. It's almost like she's hinting that, well, this issue is too complicated. Um, read the Bible for yourself. It's so complicated. If you figure it out, you know, let me know. So again, you say 
said earlier in the other podcast, to not speculate on people's. That's a motive thing. Is it kind of motive? I, I can't sort tell of, if she yeah. knows or not. Yeah, know. you know, uh, okay, so. The other thing, too, j- just real quick, yeah, yeah. is uh, she says that's my go-to. Ah. Right. And, and that's the, the, biggest, the biggest question I have about this whole interaction with her and, and the host is she says initially, like, I don't know. I have a lot of friends. I can't know. And then later she says, that's my go-to, and that's, like, my thing. And, again, like, my question to some of the people in the industry were, like, you have to know this question is going to come up. You're as big of a, an artist as Lauren Daigle. You know, her album release was in Times Square, like, huge, huge deal. Obviously, this is a question in our culture. Like, have you really not prepared anything? Is this actually the prepared answer? And she says, this is my go-to. And so that, that's the question I would almost want to know more. Like, is this her strategy? Is this uh, an out? Like, that's what gets me. Like, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know. No, I, I would say she's getting popular. She's getting more mainstream attention. She just played Ellen. And in the interview, she does speak of Ellen being super kind, pulling her to the side, speaking life to her. Being a light. Being a light. You know, she refers to Ellen as a light. So it's difficult, I would imagine, after that point to say everything she represents is wrong. I'm just speaking to the pressure of it, not defending it. But if she was unsure prior, she's definitely unsure now of the answer if homosexuality is wrong. If, if she's got friends she loves and she just played Ellen, of course she's unsure. I remember years ago when I was a new Christian, I was attending a big mega church and I had gone out to eat with a lady who was over the prayer ministry. I won't say what church. And uh, she made mention of her two close friends who uh, were in a homosexual relationship, males who were trying to adopt a baby. And I just kind of said, well, that, that won't work. God doesn't approve of that. And she looked at me and says, you're wrong. You need to be careful of your, your judgment ways. And, all. and she just came for me at the restaurant. And I remember like, but I thought, but you know, you can, she might be young in the faith and not know. And at that moment, I remember thinking, well, is it wrong? Is it right? And that began my quest for deeper truth. And I knew at that point, there's a lot more knowledge of the Bible that I needed to gain. Mm. And so maybe she's at that place. No, that's, that's true. Um, I think to go back to what Stephen said is that's her go-to. That was an interesting statement, you know, it, it, because initially I think you could, you could be less um, critical of the statements if it was sort of off the top of your head. Right. And, you know, well, maybe they just hadn't thought about it much because again, is it, is it this, is it this biblical mystery that homosexuality is wrong? Mm. Again, I would I would put it more akin to the more of the elementary like biblical sexual ethics 101. Hmm. And if I'm right about that, it's something that anybody that spent any time in church probably could or should know about. Now, <laughs> you grew up I'm in gonna, church today. Yeah, I'm going to come back. Be. I'm going to come back sure. to that problem. <laughs> yeah. I see y'all looking at me, looking at me sideways. <laughs> I mean, but <clears throat> and this this is my point. So let me go to this article, Walking with a Limp. Um, it's just a guy named Joe. I, when I typed in, I don't know what his uh, last name is. Um, again, he, I think he fails to make a distinction in judging between evaluation and condemnation. So he ends up, I think, committing the same problem that Chris committed in condemning people for condemning people. But I want to go down to this one part where he says this. I'm going to read these couple paragraphs. 
said, I'm much more bothered by the need of many Christians to claim visible Christians as being as either being in their tribe or out hmm. based on a singular issue. And that kind of tribalism has left the evangelical world with a terrible reputation being defined by what they are against rather than who or what they are for. Find almost any article or blog post about this episode and you will find people rehashing the same old arguments in scriptures while not actually advancing this dialogue forward one iota. I would imagine that Natty and Daigle both know what the texts of the Bible say. I doubt an angry Christian on social media is going to quote a verse related to the issue that either person has never seen before. So he's actually claiming that they know these texts. Sure, interesting. Right. Now, there's a lot, a lot of problems in that paragraph right there. For, uh, let me just point out um, a couple of them. I, I don't think, first of all, to, to say that to, 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 to reduce this down to Christians wanting people to be in or out of their tribe based on a singular issue. It's just, a, a mis, it's just not framing the situation correct, correctly because things that are that central to God's design for family or theologically important issues where somebody steps out of it to, to offer a criticism for that and to say that that view is false and even misleading and dangerous or whatever they might say is not to commit the sin of tribalism, quote unquote, where you're just looking for people to be in your tribe and agree with you for that, the sake of agreeing with you and being in mm. your tribe. Um, and this kind of language about being defined for what you're against rather than what, than who or what they are for. I think that's one of those kind of trite sayings that people like to use about the evangelical world. But I don't think at the end of the day, I think it, the reason it works is because what the evangelical church is against is not what these people are against. And let me give you an example for that. If, if the evangelical church says they're against the sex slave trade, nobody has a problem with them saying they're against that. Or when, when, when evangelical Christians were against um, enslaving, you know, slavery in the U.S., like we stand right. against that. Nobody has a problem for them staying against that. They only have them a problem when they stand against certain sexual activities sure, and, and sure. ideologies because it's not that they care that they're against anything. It's because they don't, they care that they're against that thing. And so the for or against language is really, I think it's a red herring a lot of times because to be for something means logically to be against other things and sometimes vice versa. So if you're for human life, you're going to be against abortion, you know? So it's like one, one, ethical position is going to entail the negation of its opposite for every negative. There's also something you're for. Right. Basically. And so, it, you know, to get into this whole, like, you know, could you reframe the 10 commandments and instead of thou shalt not commit adultery, you know, thou shalt be faithful to your wife. You could either one works though. Like who really cares about how it's said it's more is yeah, it becomes a semantic battle and that just doesn't help anybody. Um, it, it, the real problem is that is the culture doesn't like what, what we're against, not that we're against. Because mm -hmm. they're against things as well all the time, including right. the kind of evangelicalism that's against things. <laughs> Anyways, um, so here's, here's the problem, though. He said, find almost any article or blog post about this episode, or you will find people rehashing the same old arguments in scriptures. 
This tends to commit what's called chronological snobbery. That to think because something is newer, it's truer. If the old <laughs> argument works, like if P then Q, P therefore Q, yeah. that old logical syllogism is old. It's really, really old. Right. It's still just as true as it was when it was first uttered. So Pythagoras still has some yeah. point to make exactly. today. Exactly. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's an old argument. It doesn't matter that it's old. If it's a right. good, plausible, oh, so good. logical argument, and if the scriptures say what they say, then that still follows, even if it's old. So rehashing that doesn't, we don't need to advance the dialogue forward if it's already been settled. So in other words, if I'm still holding on to if P then Q, P therefore Q, I don't need to, to advance the dialogue if that means changing that. Because to change it would be a regression, mm. not a progression. Wow. Mm. So, and that's what C.S. Lewis often says. He says, you know, the more you move forward toward a false belief, you actually need to turn around and go back to where you started from. Mm. That's it. And it's funny because when there's challenges to Christianity, like the problem of suffering, that's been around B.C. times. Like Epicurus yeah. has a quote, 300 B.C. And no one says like, well, that's an old argument and we don't have an issue with that today because right. we're fine. Yeah. No. It's people still, still have an argument with we have to deal with, we have to think through. Right. So whether it's a, a problem or a good argument, yeah. it, both the age and time has no bearing on its truthfulness. Exactly. And so, and then, then he says, I would imagine that Natty and Daigle both know what the text of the Bible say. And this is what, this is where <laughs> he might be overly optimistic. And, and I think, right. What Ben Witherington, a uh, New Testament scholar, often likes to say, he said, we live in a culture that's, um, what does he say, a, a Jesus-haunted, biblically illiterate culture. Hmm. In other words, he said, he, his, his point of view, and I think he's probably right, he teaches at seminary, so he, he sees these guys coming in all the time, even in the Christian world, where many of, a peop many of us in this American culture are biblically illiterate. And I'm not, I'm not as confident that he is in this article. Hmm. that Christians in general and even Christian artists, being a Christian artist, we've actually interacted Absolutely. with many of our Christian artist friends. And I, honest, honest answer, babe, what do you think? You think the tendency is that there's a good working biblical knowledge in the, the Christian arts community? And now I'm putting you on the spot. Right. I, <laughs> I have no way of knowing the percentage, you know, I, I've come across both those who sure. have really good in-depth knowledge of the Bible and those who have very little. If you're throwing a rock at a crowd of Christian <laughs> artists. <laughs> 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 Which part of the country? I'm just kidding. I don't know. Well, I know I'll say, say this. It's sure. hard to say statistically. We don't have any hard and fast stats, no. but anecdotally, right. I have ran into a lot of Christian artists. And, and I'll tell you this. For, there was a time period where I really wanted to to host a getaway for Christian artists and just go through the truth project because I could see this stuff coming. Like mm. there were many of our friends who just, for whatever reason, you know, distractions, cultural stuff, but they just didn't have a working good understanding of biblical concepts and principles, especially the ones that related to cultural issues. Right. Yeah. The answer to that question will be how many of Christians today or Christian artists are Cutting out time, be it from life, social media, and spending hours in the word going deep. Right. That would be the answer to that question. Yeah, and you so, answer my question with a with question. question. <laughs> so, myself included. Here's my contention, Brother sure. Stephen. Yes. 
I actually think it's really plausible that Lauren gave an honest answer. Hmm. I'm not confident that she's that she doesn't believe what she said um, because I've seen too many Christian artists that are in the same boat with her. Um, I've seen too many when we did the young adult ministry. I've I've seen too many young adults who really don't know biblical sexual ethics 101. They don't, Mm. they can't point you to a passage. They, so, so this statement that he's saying, and, and he goes on here, let me read this one more little paragraph. He says, even Michael Brown, a popular Christian apologist wrote about the negative reaction, but had to frame it with just a bit of condescension with quote, let's help her rather than condemn her. Dr. Brown, thank you for calling out that the negativity, but I doubt Daigle needs you to help her. She's heard this all before. Now, I actually heard Michael Brown's interview on that, and I think he meant it from a genuine place. And he was, he was responding to what she said, like, I don't know. If you can read the Bible and show me, then show me. And that's I think uh, Dr. Brown actually reached out to her organization and said, man, I, I want to love you. I want to show you hmm. there is a clear answer to this um, yeah. on the surface and even when you dive in. Like in, in, when you look at the arguments from the, the most sophisticated proponents of both sides, it, the, the biblical traditional standard still go, like sells uh, forth un, mm. untouched. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this guy's saying, you know, Dr. Brown's, that statement was condescending, which I don't think is true. I don't know how he would know that he meant that in a condescending way in the first place. But in the second place, the fact that he's saying Lauren doesn't need your help. She's heard this all before. If she has heard it all before, then why the agnosticism? Right. She doesn't, what she doesn't say, what she doesn't say in the interview is, you know what? I've read Matthew Vines. I've met, I've read Karen Key. I've read these, these kind of pro gay theology advocates. And you know what? They really presented some challenges to my traditional faith. So I'm in the process mm. of, of working it out right now. I'm really open and I'm, I'm trying my best to study this out to the end. Mm. That would, that would in a sense be, I think, more respectable. I think I would still want to get in that conversation and show her. The problems with, um, like, for instance, Matthew Vine's um, exegetical approach to the New Testament passages that, that just don't work. But at least in that case, it would be an agnosticism based on really wrestling with the issues rather than an agnosticism rooted in our cultural idea Ooh, so that right. morality and all those things have more to do with how you feel and who your friends mm. and who you love. See that, that to me is the major problem underlying all of this. Right. It's we're not approaching these issues in the right way. Mm. So even people argue on both sides are going to end up saying, no, well, I feel this and I feel this oftentimes right. instead of going to the sources of knowledge Ooh. and saying, let's, let's explore this issue. Right. And I'm open, you know, if you can show me, Hey, if these guys are right, and they can show me that the traditional understanding of the Bible is, is wrong, then, you know, by all means, bring the arguments to the table. Let's hash it out. I've, I've seen the arguments. I don't think they work, um, but we'll see. You know, maybe there's something around the corner. Um, right. Any thoughts on that? The biblical literacy thing is, is interesting because, you know, a lot of, you know, did Jesus ever claim to be God is something that I hear from a lot of, even Christians, they're not sure of. And so when they get challenged by an atheist or a Jewish person or whatever, they say, like, you know, did he even say it? And like, 
if you read the New Testament, he says it explicitly several times. Yeah. You know, when he's in front of the Sanhedrin, uh, they ask him, you know, are you God? He says, I and the Father are one and all this kind of stuff. And and there's some some pretty plain text there that, again, if you just read it, even no study, no commentary, whatever, like, y- you would know. You would know what it says. And so, yeah, I, I am, like you, maybe less... Uh, enthusiastic or positive on, on the biblical knowledge side of our current, even Christians, like Christians yeah. in the culture. And so that, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would probably agree. It's probably based on an agnosticism of just little effort, you know. <laughs> right. And, you know, Dallas, again, Dallas Willard, he has some funny sayings, but he used to say, you know, I'm I'm less impressed with someone who's at the airport and they're agnostic about the gate they're supposed to go to. <laughs> And you know he's he's you know he's in the philosophical world, so he understands wow. that from Descartes onward, there's been a there's been sort of this like go to where I'm I'm smarter if I'm agnostic or you know or I'm more fair minded if right. I withhold judgment on a certain topic. And it really it can be like there are certain cases when it's you're you're flouting your epistemic duty by saying you know something when you don't. Hmm. There are certain ambiguous cases oh, when you know let's let's suppose you're overseeing a court case and the evidence is even on both sides for you to say, no, I know this person's right usually shows a person that's more driven by bias than the evidence. Right. And in that sense, they, they're not being as even handed or fair minded. So there are cases like that, but there are other cases when we actually, we're, we're responsible to know. Right. And you think about driving, you know, if you don't know the rules, when you get on the road, the police doesn't give you a pass. You say, Oh, I didn't know. Is it, against the law to, you know, make right. a U-turn here. That's great. You know, I, here's the ticket, you know, right. Two things once again, too. And having gone to a show like Ellen, I mean, I, it would have to have entered my mind. Okay. Her lifestyle, her, her movement, what she represents in the, in the mainstream culture. Um, I would have given it some thought and two off the subject a little bit. Um, uh, a former boss's father of mine gave me wise wisdom. He said, if you are merely just depending on knowledge you receive on Sunday morning concerning Christianity and you're losing the battle mm. right now, if you're doing it a couple of times a week, you're still anemic. It takes daily spending time in the work with God for you to stay even close to the front lines. But that was a couple of years ago. Yeah, man. And the world has changed even since a couple of years ago. So it's like, it's, I think this was, like you said, God will work this for good. But I think it's just a great wake up call. Yeah. One wake up call I received is just because a person is popular in Christendom doesn't mean that they have the knowledge, even the basic um, knowledge of Bible 101 that you would expect them to. So let's just kind of, be able to discern the difference between yeah, those yeah, two things. Yeah, that's good, man. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit with this um, a passage from this article a guy named John Stone Street, I think, from uh, Chuck Colson. He he's might be the president or something of that organization now. We'll put this one up as well. But here's what he said. But this whole story, the story we're talking about here, reveals something else: the deep crisis of authority plaguing evangelicalism right now. First. We should be past the point of answering this question because the Christian view of sex and marriage should be so clear and our commitment to it should be so well known by now that there should be no longer any point in asking the question. Hmm. 
The reason it still comes up is that too many evangelicals like mainline Protestant liberals before them have sounded an uncertain note on this topic. I'm not just talking about those very few pastors and writers who have reinvented their faith to accommodate LGBT theology. I'm talking about the the epidemic fear to even broach the topic in so many evangelical churches and ministries and how we've avoided the topic, especially with our young people, instead wrongly catechizing them to look to their emotions for truth instead. Hmm. Neither the Bible nor two millennia of Christian teaching are at any level ambiguous about homosexual behavior. Numerous passages in the Old and New Testaments condemn it, along with any sexual behavior outside of God's good design for marriage between a man and a woman. No one in Christian history has ever doubted this until five minutes ago. Mm. There is no room for disagreement on this point. For Daigle or any other Christian, for that matter, to publicly say, quote, I don't know whether homosexuality is a sin, unquote, is like saying, quote, I don't know whether stealing or worshiping false gods are sins, unquote. Well, and that brings up a second angle on the church-wide authority problem we face. When theological training is deprioritized and even avoided, then our celebrities become experts. Are experts. Yes, Daigle should know better, but we should know better than to hold celebrities up as theological authorities. And I think that's that was so well said, man. I think and and so here's 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 our contention again. Overall, what we want to say is evaluate, don't condemn. As we evaluate, we need and and again, we'll put some books up so you can come to understand this. You won't just take our word for it, but as you evaluate. Understand that there's theological and ethical knowledge. Knowledge isn't going to run over us. We have to seek it. We have to be truth mm-hmm. seekers. And in fact, it is our duty as Christ followers to seek knowledge mm-hmm. in these realms. And so I'd say we cannot, we cannot be derelict in our duty to understand the Christian worldview. Um, we need to know what we believe, why we believe it, especially on these topics that are, that are culturally hot topics. Um, if you have a, you know, to our fellow Christian artists out there, man, let's really dive in. Let's let's take the time to understand these issues thoroughly, um, so that we can speak on them from a place that's biblical mm-hmm. and um, and informative. And so, as we do that, we do it with love, we do it with compassion, we do it with truth, and we do it with knowledge. Did you have something you want to add to that, babe? In closing, how would you have answered his question? Do you feel homosexuality is wrong? You know, it it, it kind of depends on like the scenario on how it answer the question. Like, you know, is this an interview? Is it one of those six in the morning interviews and we got five minutes to, you know, do the whole interview? Do we have an hour? Is it extended? That's why, you know, these things can be difficult. We know that like you go into an interview, sometimes you don't know what they're going to ask and they, you know, hit you with something you're not ready for. But let's just let's just say, you know, we don't have a ton of time and somebody puts you on the spot and asks you that question or ask me that question. You know, I would I would say basically this. Um, Biblically speaking, sex is a gift from God that he gives us to be enjoyed only in the boundaries of marriage between one man and one woman. Any sexual activity outside of that covenant would be considered sin or sexual immorality, biblically speaking. Now, we might have to unpack that more, obviously, and, and 
Um, but you know, it, it, the other thing is, is this a hostile environment and, and is someone trying to do gotcha journalism? And in those cases, yeah, somebody tr- trying to trap you. And, you know, I think Jesus was really good at navigating that as well. You know, um, sometimes the, the Pharisees would try to trap him and he would, you know, they would ask him a question. He'd hit them with a question <laughs> and, um, you know, you can do that. And it, if I was in that case and I felt like it was the guy was just trying to get a soundbite to use against us and, you know, that was going to impact um, what we were trying to accomplish ministry wise in a negative way. It would just, you know, prayerfully, and you nev- never would want to duck the question out of fear, but just as wisdom, in some cases, it might be better not to hit it head on and, that set, and just answer his question how he wants you to answer it. But it might be good to ask them a question back. For instance, he asked, you know, do you feel homosexuality is wrong? You might say, well, uh, well, you know, it's a good question, but let me ask you this. Do you think that morality is in the realm of subjective feeling or is it in the realm of objective truth that can be discovered and known and by doing that you know you kind of turn the question back around on them or even if they asked it you know in a better way hey does the bible teach that homosexual activity is a sin you might say um you know yeah i'll answer that question but let me let me hear from you first do you believe that there are any sexual immoral acts at all in general, what's your thoughts on R. Kelly? <laughs> you know, just or whatever. You know, you might, you might just, just depend on the scenario. So, but let's say it's not a hostile environment, and I, I need to give a quick answer. I think the one I gave does that does that make sense? What I said there, you know, and another important thing that that is good to make a distinction in because the guy did ask, you know, is homosexuality? Do you feel like homosexuality is a sin? Um, sometimes it, it can be helpful to make a distinction because the, the Bible doesn't really address um, just simple same-sex desire. It really talks about same-sex activity. Um, and that's what it talks about and kind of clearly over and over again um, condemns as something we shouldn't engage. Um, and that's an important distinction. You know, many people will find themselves with these desires many times unwanted and they're like, man, you know, I just, this is the way I feel. Now the problem in our culture is we've went from this is the way I feel to this is who I am. And because we've made um, sexuality and a marker for identity, it becomes increasingly hard to talk about this topic. And um, that's something if we have more time, we have to, we have to sometimes, go through in a little more detail and, and help people understand. Uh, I heard this recently where a guy who has a ministry in this area who, you know, used to identify as gay and, and lived in that lifestyle, came out of it. He's teaching the Moody Bible now. But he said our sexuality, our sexual desire is not who we are, it's how we are. And I think, you know, when you get to the point where you're defining yourself by proclivities and desires and all these things, then it gets really hard because if you say – you know, yeah, homosexuality is a sin. What you're saying is I'm a, you know, I'm a monster. I'm, I'm unacceptable by God as a person, all this kind of stuff. And that's not what we want to say at all. What we want to say biblically is that we are all born in this fallen world with desires. Some of them are constructive. Some of them are destructive. And some of, us, some of them aim us away from God. Some of them are, are good and, you know, should be just, you know, acted upon. But we look to the biblical standard is our view for for what is good, the abundant life, for flourishing in God, that gives us an an idea into what He designed us for and how we should function. And then we 
you know, we bring all of ourselves to that. We crucify ourselves with Christ. We we lay down our desires, and this is something that we're um, we're all to be involved in. And and we also understand, you know, the beautiful teaching that when we come into Christ, we are no longer who we were. We're a new creation, right? So it's not really what you're born with, what proclivities, what whatever, all that stuff is really not. It it doesn't really matter biblically because we're born again. And, you know, whether you're in or outside of Christ, we all understand that we have inclinations in certain areas that we have to deny and not act upon. And that's what the Bible holds us responsible for. What are we doing with those desires? Now, I do want to say this to any listeners today, man. Um, we've been talking about this topic sort of in a dry, clinical, philosophical way. But the truth is, for many people out there, it's a deep, emotional struggle it's it's a it's a hard place and we don't mean to in any way make that um smaller than it is um if if you or your loved ones are struggling with it in this area any kind of way man we would just say feel free to contact us um you can do it through freemind.fm on the contact page or any of our social media outlets freemind.fm twitter instagram instagram is probably better facebook um but and we will do anything we can to to pass you some resources. Look on our resource page as well on freemind.fm. There's stuff there that can help you understand this these topics deeper from a biblical perspective. But also it gives tools to help us navigate these specific areas. If you're you know you find yourself wrestling with these things and you don't you're not sure what to do with it or how to how to move forward in in Christ likeness and sanctification, all that stuff that we all have to wrestle with. There's some great resources on there. So I would just point you to that. And yeah, man, I think we, I think we got through most of it. This is just an initial conversation. We'll, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep, um, wrestling through this stuff. I'm sure it'll come up again and again in our culture, but you know, hopefully this helps. And, um, like I said, let us know if you have any more questions or thoughts or concerns.